0: Um, As I mentioned, um, we were in the book of 1 Corinthians, which was a letter the Apostle Paul written to a church in Corinth um, back in the day, and uh, they were grappling with issues that we grapple with today. God's Word is relevant yesterday, today, and forever, and you'll see what I mean. Have you ever disagreed with a family member or a friend or a business coworker? on any issue whatsoever, whether it be a musical taste, whether it be theological issue, whether it be a political issue or a lifestyle issue. I mean, we've all been there. I mean, in my own immediate family, we have different views on several subjects, and we get into arguments and uh, enjoy discussions like that. But in this congregation, there are those who will vote Republican, those who will vote Democrat, those who will vote Independent. In our congregation, there are those who support wind turbines and those who don't. In in this congregation, there are those who prefer hymns and those who prefer praise courses, like you heard this morning. In our congregation, there are those who will wear masks and continue to for several more weeks, months, and those who say, you know what, I, I'm okay. Um, there are those who will participate in a march for civil rights or whatever. And there, there are those who say, no, nah, I, don't, I don't think that's for me. And there are those here who uh, are grateful that the church is open and businesses are open. McDonald's is not yet open, uh, other than the drive-thru. But there are those who say it's safer to remain closed. And it goes on and on. Well, we do have an enemy of the faith, the devil, and he would want us to divide over any issue. He doesn't care what issue it is. He just wants contention, especially in the church. Because when the church is divided, then they they reveal a, such a negative witness to the world. Saying, why would I want to be with those hypocrites? They're just angry and judgmental and on and on. He doesn't care what the issue is. But we can decide if we'll be peacemakers or if we'll participate in contention and division many say man i just wish we could get back back to the bible get back to the early church that's what we need to be but if you look at the letters that paul wrote the apostle paul wrote to the early church you'll discover that all these churches had issues nothing has changed including the church in corinth the issue was whether they could eat a certain food or not paul is it okay to consume food that's been sacrificed to idols or not? And we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Paul says, Now about this food that you talk about, this food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. Okay, that's as clear as mud. Thank you very much, Paul. Notice what he says. The very first verse he says, notice this in quotes. We all possess knowledge. In other words, Paul was quoting them. Some people were saying, duh, everybody knows that. We all know that. Anyone who knows anything about this with any knowledge knows what the truth is. In other words, it was a phrase to end all arguments. After all, who can argue against what everybody already knows? Then Paul goes on. He says, you know what? Your knowledge puffs up. Your knowledge has an arrogance about it. It's a kind of I-know-what's-best attitude that puffs up where you just propel a lot of hot air. Furthermore, Paul goes on in verse 2 to say that your knowledge is blinding yourselves. You're your own worst enemy. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Love builds up. Those who respond in love when there's contention and disagreement, those who respond in love will seek to build the other person up. We'll seek to understand the other point of view. We'll seek to be teachable in the face of disagreement. will seek to build others up in love. <clears throat> and so that's Paul's first point that he makes. The strong will seek to build up the weak in love. <clears throat> Excuse me? <clears throat> Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The Corinthian believers wanted to know, tell us, Paul, what is right? Is it, in fact, okay to eat food that's been sacrificed in these idol worship temples or not? And so Paul goes on in verse 4. He says, so then, about food sacrificed to idols, this is what I say. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one God. We know that. You know that. They're in quotation marks. Verse five: For even if there are so-called gods with a small g, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, he was speaking of <clears throat> false idols. You know, false gods, uh, false religions that people worship. We know that there are many. Yet for us, there's only one. There's but one God, the Father from whom all things came, and for wh- whom we live. There is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. There are two groups of thinking. First, group one. They were the strong. They were the free. And they would argue, you know, God created all the animals. No food from an animal is unclean. Therefore, we're free to eat anything that we want to. We are free in Christ. Even food sacrifice to these so-called idols, because everybody knows that idol, idols are not really real. It's like mythology. But there's only one true God, and there's only one true Lord who gives life. That was the first group. There was another group of believers who disagreed with that attitude. They, they believed that because an animal was associated with sacrifices to these false demonic gods these magicians, these witches and whatnot. It would, um, they're false gods that we should not have anything to do with that food because the food is defiled. Paul spoke of them in verse 7 when he said, but not everyone possesses this knowledge that you strong have. Some people are... uh, Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, for them it is defiled. Now this group would have consisted probably of relatively new believers, ones who just came out of this false religion associated with a lot of negative behaviors in their lives, and it conjured up all these memories they were weaker in their consciences. A portion of the meat that they would have worshipped to an idol would have gone to the idol, the false god. A portion of it would have gone to the false priests so that they could eat after they led and worship. And still a third portion of it would have been sold in the city market squares. And so for, for this second group, the food even sold in the market squares would have been defiled and unclean and it would have conjured up all these negative things that had damaged their souls in the past. And who could blame them? For example, who would blame anyone if they're walking past someone with cologne or perfume on and their former abusive partner used to wear that and they're just they just, they're just so offended by that smell? Who could blame someone if they go to someone and they have a huge scent, smell of, or they smell the liquor on someone, and they're coming out of a life of alcoholism. Or who could blame someone? You're walking down a mall and you see someone who reminds you of someone who bullied you, someone who attacked you, someone who demeaned you for years. And so it just conjures all these negative thoughts and emotions and feelings. So the strong will seek to build up the weak, in love the mature believer will have understanding and sensitivity toward those who hold to different convictions than themselves because love builds up secondly paul wants to drive this point home he said the stronger will not allow what they consider to be their rights the exercise of their rights to be a stumbling block for the weak There's a lot of discussion about our rights today, you know? You turn on any news station and people are fighting for their rights. But for those in Christ, food was a non-issue for the mature. They were free in Christ to eat or not eat. In verse 8, he says, Food does not bring us near to God. We're no worse if we do not eat, but we're no better if we do eat. Paul acknowledged that food in and of itself carried No sinful power. It was a neutral thing. Just like all those lists of things are neutral. They're non-essential to our eternal salvation. But Paul still offered this godly instruction in verse 9. He says, But, however, he says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights, your freedoms, uh, does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you, with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? You know, these new believers who just came out of this false religion, they would see someone who's mature in Christ eating this temple to some goddess associated with sexual immorality and they would easily be swayed to compromise their convictions hey if, if Nathaniel is eating in that temple then I'm going to go eat in the temple too because after all that can't be wrong and they will, act in, um, they will act in contradiction to what their convictions are telling them Paul reminds us in Romans 14 in another letter he says whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is a sin. And so we, by our rights, can cause others to stumble. The word stumbling block is proskumo in the Greek language, of which the New Testament was written in. Proskuma—it's a rock in a pathway, an obstacle that made progress difficult. There was a preacher of old named Charles Spurgeon, and he would love to visit Morocco, and he would go to this resort with a gambling casino, the Monte Carlo uh, Casino. And, but on the other side, there was this lavish garden, and he loved walking through the gardens there. He said, they're the most beautiful gardens I've seen in the world. And so he and his friends would go and visit there and, and enjoy God's nature. But one day after a conversation with one of his friends, traveling companions, he decided that he would never return to this place, this garden. And the owner of the casino commented to Spurgeon's friend, he said, you hardly ever visit the gardens anymore. Well, since we don't gamble, sir, we don't feel like we should take advantage of your gardens you know, when we don't contribute to your casinos. Nonsense, the man said. No, no. Many people who intend to gamble in my casino, they love the gardens. But I've noticed that when your group visits the gardens, then you attract other people who eventually become my gambling customers. And so Spurgeon realized that his very presence was causing others to get into the gambling and some to become addicted and whatnot. So he said, I I can't visit there anymore when I was coming home from uh, my school in Chicago there was another small school in Chicago North Park University where a friend of mine from uh, my hometown was a student and uh, we were from church together we graduated together, we were confirmed together so I knew her quite well and she said John, uh, would you mind if would you follow me home during this winter break from Chicago to New York it was a several hour trip, like 12 hour trip and I said sure, I'll do that Back in those days, the speed limit on I-90 was 55 miles an hour. Guess how fast my friend wanted to drive? Guess who was going nuts the entire time? Because the flow of traffic was at least 63 or 4 back in those days. But I had to follow her at 55. I was so tempted to want to pass her and go, I'm going to lead. I'm going to go 63. I want to get home. But I didn't because I realized instinctively that doing that would cause her to go against her conviction and cause her to feel like she was breaking the law. And so I traveled 55 all the way home. So about 48 hours later, we got home, (laughs) and I was really tired. But I didn't want to cause her to stumble. I knew that intuitively. Um, Parents can unintentionally cause children uh, to stumble by modeling bad behavior or by not modeling good behavior like uh, a mom said Johnny you take those marbles back to Willie Jones house right this instant you know what I told you playing marbles you can't play them for keeps you need to give them back right now and give them back to him okay mama do you want me to also take back your painted vase that you won at Mrs. Jones bridge party you see more is caught than taught by one's behavior. And Jesus said to his disciples, he said, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. We all deal with it. But woe to anyone through whom they come persistently, intentionally. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around the neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Lynn and I are so grateful that we had parents that we're very committed to God and Christ and very committed to his church in worship service community and because of that Lynn and I love the church we love Christ's church incidentally which will be eternal because the people of God are eternal Uh, there's only two things that are eternal God's word will never pass away go on for eternity the truth in this and people who make up the church And so uh, I'm grateful that our parents had that priority. We went to church every week. Um, Not because we were made to and it was an obligation, but we fell in love with the church of Christ. Um, They didn't cause us to stumble, therefore. You know, and many, uh, many times when I love watching sports, too, uh, but in, in a lot of sports, there could be a foul or there could be a penalty because someone will... You know, push or trip or whatever and sometimes that penalty uh, can result in a player getting ejected from the game or someone getting hurt seriously we've seen that in the NFL and NBA and etc even in high school levels people out with injuries but there, there's a much greater damage to be done when one's by one's behavior hinder one's relationship with God because it's an eternal damage it's not just a broken leg it's a broken soul And so God takes this thing of stumbling block very seriously in verse 11 he says so this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed is destroyed by your knowledge by your freedom by you standing on your rights and freedom you can destroy another person When you sin against them in this way, you wound their weak conscience and you sin against Christ. This word wound, if you're to look it up in a Greek biblical Greek definition, it means to strike vigorously with many blows causing great harm. So we all cause people to stumble. We, you know, as parents, you know, we all mess up, every single one of us. As seniors, we all are stumbling blocks to the freshmen at times by our behavior but I think this is talking about persistent, a lifestyle of persistent action which really causes your children or those younger than you to uh, t- take on those behaviors based on looking at your life. Finally, Paul says, the strong are called to consider the rights of others even before their own. Last week, Pastor Jeremy was talking about this very subject. And he was saying that in the Constitution, we have all been given rights. You know, the Bill of Rights, First Amendment, freedom to religion, freedom of speech. Um, we have all these freedoms, but he mentioned last week that these freedoms given to us are freedoms for the individual. They are my rights, and, and they're good things, you know. We all want those freedoms as Americans, but as children of God, we're called to a higher law than our Constitution. It's the gospel. It's the law of love. And those rights are to put others first. They're other-centric. Not self-centric, but other-centric. And you can read about it throughout Scripture. From beginning to end. Others, others, others. For example, the greatest sermon ever given by Jesus. Sermon on the Mount. He said in verse 5 of Matthew, he said... Or chapter 5, he said, If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt then hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, you don't have to, but the law of love says go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I was put to the test this week on that very command. I didn't want to give. My time, my finances, my anything, but God says, hey, practice what you preach, brother. And oh my word, it it tested me. And I did it. And Jesus was other-centered and he taught us to follow. Um, Pope Francis, who's the current Pope of the Catholic Church, writes, Rivers do not drink their own water. Trees do not eat their own fruit. Sun does not shine on itself. And flowers do not spread their fragrance for themselves. Living for others is a rule of nature, seen in nature. We're all born to help each other. No matter how difficult it is, life is good when you are happy, but much better when others are happy because of you. We believers are not only to put the others, others' rights before ours, in fact, we're called to die to our rights. We're called to die to our rights. Let that sink in. Verse 13 of chapter 9, Paul says, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to... To fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Paul says, I can eat meat, but I will never eat meat if it causes others to stumble. I give it up totally for the sake of others. First Amendment is the right to religious freedom. I saw this post this last week. They said, for the record, religious freedom... It's not something Jesus ever promised his disciples. The disciples were all martyred for their faith. Think about that. Yeah, we have religious freedom in the Constitution. That's a good thing. I I love it that I live in America. I, I love that fact. But I live according to a higher law, which takes precedence over my American citizenship. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. Yet every day on social media I see even Christians fighting and bickering back and forth with their opinions on, on uh, Facebook and such. They're attacking each other, they're humiliating each other, they're retaliating, demeaning, trying to outwit each other uh, for the sake of the truth, if you will. And it grieves my heart because it's such a bad, bad witness, unchrist-like characteristic. Rather than turning the other cheek and walking the extra mile, uh, they are retaliating. So, Let's conclude where we began. When we consider others who disagree with us in any of those areas right there, by the way, that, there are four or three things. I know you're all looking at the cartoon, right? Look at the left-hand side of the sticks and the right-hand side. We see each other, we see different issues differently, and that's okay when it comes to issues that are not clear in Scripture, and there are many that are non-salvation-oriented. One can make a logical defense for each of these positions up here, and it, but it's good to have convictions. But hear the words of the Apostle Paul in his concluding remarks in chapter 9, verse 19. He says, though I, am a free, though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone or servant to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. Skip down to verse 22. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. And then he wraps up his entire argument for these three chapters. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or Christians, Church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. And that should be our priority too. Um, There's only two things that will last forever. The people sitting right next to you they're going to last forever. Whether they're eternally alive with God or eternally separated, we are eternal beings in our, in our souls, in God's word. And so that's my priority, to live for others, even though I mess up all the time. Don't ask my wife. Let's pray. Let's pray. Uh, thank you, Jesus, for your word that's living and active and powerful to change us from the inside out. Thank you, Lord, for your grace When we mess up, which we do so often, and when we blow it, you are a God who forgives us by your grace and you you receive us time and time again uh, because we belong to you. Uh, I thank you, Lord, that you are a heavenly Father. And just like when our little children stumble and fall, we don't kick them and get angry with them. We help them back up and tell them you can do it. You can continue to progress and grow. And thank you, Lord, that you're a God like that who loves us. I pray God that as we conclude as we leave this place Lord we'll be be changed because we sat under the power of your word in Christ's name, Amen